Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. This, um, this, this series is, uh, is, is really uh, important um, for all of us and is important to me because it's one where we, we're looking into the Old Testament and, and we're saying together, Jesus is in the Old Testament. So where is he? And then we're looking in, in Leviticus and we're going, Jesus is in Leviticus. So where is he? So let us become convinced together uh, that Jesus is in every page um, of the scriptures. The, the, uh, the, the endeavor that we have before us is not one that we can achieve in, in one sitting, right? So the encouragement is that, that we all go away with the sense of wanting to dig out the gems of scripture, right? Wanting to go and find Jesus in the scriptures with that conviction that, um, that Jesus uh, uh, wasn't a New Testament idea. Uh, God wasn't like building something in the, new, in the Old Testament that failed and then he brought, some, he brought Jesus in as kind of plan B. Um, Jesus is in is in every page of the, of the scriptures. And sometimes the reason we miss him is because we're looking for the name Jesus. Um, the name Jesus is in the New Testament, um, but the person of Jesus, the, the prophecies of Jesus, the foretelling of Jesus, the foreshadowing, the types and the shadows, as we, as, as we sometimes speak about in, uh, in, in, in Christianese, in Christian language, um, it, all of those speak of of a Jesus that is, um, that is bursting off of the pages, and hopefully we can begin to see some of that um, come to the fore. Amen. I want to start with this idea that, um, that we, we, we see a narrative uh, that has developed in the Scriptures and has continued to develop in the New Testament um, of us moving from a professional priesthood that was set in to a relational priesthood. And so kind of the, the theme that we're hanging our, our uh, uh, teaching this morning is, 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 is this idea of moving from priest professional to priest relational. We, we understand that in the great scope, greater scope of things, in the overarching message of Scripture. Sometimes if we try and understand Scripture in an isolated uh, uh, space, we get a very limited understanding but if we want to try and understand uh, and get a better picture of the heart of God, we use kind of this tool that we sometimes refer to in interpreting Scripture called progressive revelation, the law of progressive revelation. And what that means is as you read the Scriptures and as you, as you follow the narrative and as you see how God has continued to reveal himself, you get a far clearer, far more accurate picture of his heart and of his, of his desires. And... Um, as we follow the narrative of Scripture, we see a very intentional progression um, away from a professional priesthood to a relational priesthood. I want to start our journey with this, with, with, um, with this idea that the veil, the veil is central to our identity. I'm going to hang our conversation on kind of four, four concepts, the, the cross, the veil, the priest, and the sacrifice. Those are uh, kind of the, 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 the markers that we'll be um, uh, working with. But the, the, the veil is, is central um, to our identity 
and, and the veil was this, um, this curtain that would hang in the tabernacle or in the temple that separated the holy place that it, 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 the, 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 the inside of the temple, the holy place, and uh, the holy of holies, or the holiest place. Uh, and that was the place where the Ark of the Covenant would sit, in the, and, the, and the scriptures teach that that's where the presence of God would rest. And so there's, there's this curtain, the veil, that, um, that separates the holy of holies and, uh, and the holy place. And no one can go into this area. No one can enter into this area. If you enter into the Holy of Holies, you die. You die. Uh, the only person who can enter into this place is, is the high priest. And even then, at designated periods, annually, you'd be able to enter in. And with some preparation. So some sacrifice, atoning, uh, confessing, ensuring that he's, he's good. He goes into the presence of God for the purposes of ministering before God uh, on behalf of the nation of, um, of Israel. And so what the, what the veil represented was a very real separation uh, between God and the people of God. And, and, the, and the tearing of, of the veil, which we'll, we'll get into just now, represented um, an invitation that, that for generations was not there. We went from do not enter in, do not enter in, do not enter in, you can't enter in, this is the holiest place, you, 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 you can't get into this place, to come on in. It's available for you. So, and so the, 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 the veil is central to our identity. The, the, the only way to really understand the gravity of the the veil and the fact that it's central to identity is really when we understand the context that the people of Israel lived in for thousands of years and many generations leading up to the time when the veil would be torn. On a daily basis, on a daily basis, the people of Israel were engaged in the business of trying to be pure, trying not to lose their purity. That was, that was this all-consuming task that informed how they lived their lives, how they went about their dietary requirements, the kind of work that they did, the logistics, how they traveled, how they built family and raised their children, the conversations they, did, they, they, they had together, the behaviors they engaged in or not. Everything was based around how to be clean or how to recover from not being clean. Because there, it, there, it, there were very real consequences to being unclean. Separation from God and immediate judgment. And so, and so there was, there was a, 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 a pain and a cost um, to not getting it right. And so they lived their lives trying to figure out how to get it right and if they, if they got it right, how to keep it right. It was all-consuming and it was hard. It was not an easy life, but it was not supposed to be easy because the idea that was supposed to settle and seep into their souls is that, man, this is impossible. How are we supposed to do this? How is one supposed to live a life and try to attain to the standards of God? But praise God for Jesus. 
Because today, our pursuits are slightly different. Why? We have purity imbued on us. We take upon ourselves the purity of Jesus Christ. And so we can pursue other purposes, so we can enjoy our lives, so we can actually have relationships, we can do other things. It's beautiful because of Jesus. And, uh, and we'll, we'll uh, dig a little bit deeper uh, into this concept uh, next week. So I encourage you to track with us as we're working through uh, this, um, this series. But, but here's, here's where we start. In, in Matthew 27... From verse 45, it says, Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, that's what it would have meant if I had said it properly. I don't know how to pronounce that. And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling out Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. At that moment of Jesus yielding up his spirit at that moment of Jesus having fulfilled the mission for which he came to earth, the, the veil was torn. But the mission didn't begin at the cross. The mission of Jesus didn't even begin when he was born into this world. In fact, if we accept the premise that Jesus has been part of the narrative from the very beginning, an interesting picture begins to emerge. So in the Levitical uh, uh, system, and, and really the book of Leviticus outlays a lot of these sacrificial systems, how to sit in priests, how to live according to ritual purity, how to have some ceremonial uh, cleanness, and, and, and all of these things um, that were required to maintain relationship with God. But even in those rules, what looked like at that point rules and systems, Jesus begins to emerge. You see, one of the rules was that the sacrificial lamb was required to be spotless. And so before the time of sacrifice, you would go into the herd and uh, find a spotless or a, a, a sacrificial animal that was without blemish, and that is the animal that you would present before the Lord for the sacrifice. You know what the scriptures say about Jesus? That Jesus is the spotless lamb. That, that very practice was already foreshadowing the Jesus to come. The lamb was brought before the priest for inspection. Not only would you go in, pick the, 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 the lamb without blemish or the animal, and, and, and then inspect it yourself, you would take it to the priest, and the priest would inspect it and call it spotless, and therefore um, it was worthy to be, to be sacrificed. You know what happened to Jesus around the time when he was about to be sacrificed? He was imprisoned, and then he was carried and presented before the high priest for inspection. They questioned him. They interrogated him. And you know what the scriptures tell us? They found no wrong in him. 
They, 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 in fact, the only way they could, that they could find him guilty was to produce false witnesses who would bear false testimony against him. So Jesus became, not only was he the, the spotless lamb, but he passed the inspection of the high priest. There's a practice where the, the, the high priest or the priest would receive the offering, the animal, and then lay his hands on the head of the animal. Typically, uh, it, was the, 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 it was two goats that, that uh, he would lay, lay his hands on. The one would be killed, the other one would be driven off into the wilderness. The act of laying on of hands on the head was an act of transferring of communal guilt. The guilt of the people was transferred onto this animal. It was then killed or driven out. It was the, this idea of the scapegoat. That's where the, this term, the scapegoat, comes from. It wasn't Shakespeare. It was Jesus. When Jesus had been imprisoned and was on his way to the cross, you know what happened? The Roman soldiers began to make a, a crown of thorns and they placed it on his head. And, and, and the scriptures tell us that after they had placed it on his head, they took it off and they began to beat him and they laid hands on his head. You know what they were doing? They were transferring communal guilt upon the sacrifice that was about to be killed. Jesus took on the, sacri- the, the, the guilt, the, not only the guilt of the Roman soldiers, but the guilt of the world so that he would be prepared and ready for the sacrifice. The blood of the, of the sacrificial animal uh, would be scattered in, in, the, in the altar so the, the, the priest would dip his fingers in the blood of the, sacrificial, uh, of the sacrifice and he would sprinkle it um, and rub it on the, on the horns of the altar. And so the blood of Jesus also was spilt within the camp. Um, he, was, he was beaten. He was beaten until he bled. Uh, they, they pressed a crown of thorns on him until he bled. In fact, if we take it, if we take it a little bit uh, earlier on, in, he had a moment in the Garden of Gethsemane where he was so overcome and so stressed and so anxious, he, he, he began to sweat blood. And so the blood of, of, of the sacrificial lamb was spilt already within the camp territory. But the animal, especially the sin and the burnt offering, could not be destroyed in the camp. It had to be carried out and burnt, entirely destroyed outside of the camp. You know what happened with Jesus? They led him carrying his own cross outside of the camp of Jerusalem and led him to the place of sacrifice. He was sacrificed outside the camp. Don't tell me Jesus is not in the scriptures. Jesus is all over Leviticus. And so we've spoken about the cross. I want to speak about the veil. And behold, the, cap, the, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. For me, this idea of the, the veil that was torn from top to bottom uh, speaks of some, of some very real uh, uh, concepts that make sense to me in my life. Uh, the fact that the, the veil was torn from top to bottom speaks of a justice that was satisfied. See, the only way that we could be invited in to the presence of God, the only way that we could enter into the Holy of Holies is if justice was satisfied. 
And so the justice of God was satisfied in that the, the wrath and the anger of God was poured out on Jesus. What, 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 is, what does Scripture tell us? That the wages of sin is death. Many animals died, but they were insufficient. The death of Jesus Christ was required. And because we uh, see the, the, the death of Jesus Christ, the anger of God, the vengeance of God poured out upon him, so the justice aspect is satisfied. And so sometimes we get into these conversations where we talk about kind of this, this um, you know, the God of justice. God of justice, and we talk about the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament. Has God changed his mind? Uh, had he, did he have a personality change? Uh, we see some transition, or what looks like a bit of a transition. Saints, I'm here to tell you that God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He's still a God of justice. Still a God of justice. The, 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 justice, the, the, the justice of sin and the consequences of sin were poured out upon Jesus Christ. And so um, sometimes we, you know, I, I hear people talking about, man, but I, I, I deserve justice. Something has happened and I deserve justice. And, and why is it that this person who did a thing to me is still walking around and still prospering? Why hasn't God opened the skies and poured out sulfur and brimstone upon their heads? If God was a God of justice, then my situation wouldn't look the way it does. If God was a God of justice, that person wouldn't still be walking around today. All matters of justice have been settled at the cross. All matters of justice. It's not, it's not a nice truth to hear because we want the justice aspect, right? We want, no, 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 I want my personal justice. I want, my, I want this to be, to be, but all matters of justice were, were satisfied at the cross. Lord, why aren't you tearing that person apart? Because he already tore Jesus apart. And that was, and that was settled. And so, and so that's something that we need to settle in our hearts. We need to settle that in our hearts. When God says that vengeance is his, what he means is that vengeance is his and his to dispense as he sees fit. And so justice is settled at the cross. The, the, the veil speaks to me of sacrifice. And so we, we've already spoken um, about the, 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 some of the types of sacrifices that needed to happen. On a daily basis, on a daily basis, animals were killed within, the, within the, 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 the camp of Israel. And so from a visual perspective, it was gory. There was blood all the time, entrails, intestines, body parts, all over the place, all the time. It was a messy business. I don't think it smelled well. Doesn't seem like a kind of, it wasn't, it wasn't pleasant. But I also don't think it was meant to be pleasant. Because the visual representation for the people of Israel was that sin is a messy business. And it gets on you and it gets on everything like the entrails and the blood and the dung and the smell. It's, it, it, it taints everything. And, and they had to do it every single day because this blood of the animal was never going to be enough. Until the day, the appointed day, when Jesus would come and he would die at the cross. It speaks also of a hope. Why? On earth would Jesus forego the benefits and the security and the power and the comfort and the beauty of, of heaven? 
Why would he set his deity aside? Why would he walk on earth with all its limitations? Why would he subject himself to humiliation? Why would he subject himself to pain? Why would he allow himself to die the death of a thief? It was the hope that was set before him. It was this idea of a veil that was torn. Because when, when he needed the strengthening, when he needed hope, I like to believe that Jesus thought of the fact that there will come a day when this veil will be torn. And on that day, it is not one high priest who will go into the presence of God one time in a year for on behalf of everybody else. It will be all of us all the time that have presence or access to the presence of God. And so there was a hope that was set before him, that we would be one with him as he is with the Father. And it's, a, for me, a, a visualization of true holiness. Not the holiness that, was, that required a daily sacrifice, a, a, a daily effort, uh, uh, a daily work, but one that was the result of identity. That, 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 that it was the culmination of this reality that our, that our holiness and our purity was no longer based on what we do, but on who we are. And we, we'll get in a, a little bit more into some of this stuff next week because that doesn't excuse us from purity, right? And from working towards purity. But we, we work from this place of an understanding that our holiness is a settled matter because it is, our, it is the holiness of Christ that is imbued upon us. And so, in, in moving from a, 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 a professional priesthood, an understanding of a professional priesthood to relational priesthood, we begin first with an understanding of the cross and an understanding of the veil. And now we talk about the priests. Leviticus 1 says, The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them. Now I want you to listen to where I make an emphasis. When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd. He shall offer a male without blemish. He, and you can put she there so that there's no way for us to hide, <laughs> shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. And the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall arrange the pieces, the head and the fat on the, on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. But its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water, and the priests shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Who was responsible for the offering? 
We're starting to get it. We're starting to get it. When you would bring your offering before the Lord, you had to bring your lamb or your bull or your turtle dove or your, or, or your uh, 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 yeast or, 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 your, or your wheat or whatever else it was. You had to bring that. You had to kill the animal. You had to flay the skin. You had to prepare the pieces. The responsibility of the sons of Aaron, the priests, was to have a fire ready and to, uh, and, and, and to facilitate where the pieces go. Okay, so let's bring it back to today because I think some of you are uh, looking at me like, and then? Good info. When you walk into the service on a Sunday, and you sit in your chair, and you take out your notepad, and you begin to make your notes. What notes are you making? Yeah, that worship was, uh, it was okay. They didn't, re- man, they, they didn't go to the, if only they'd taken it, ah, and they even missed the notes. The guy was doing the thing, and he missed the note. It messed me up. I love the song. I wish it had been that worship leader. If they take, they, that, that worship leader can really take it. Man, that word was okay, but ah, I thought it was this guy that was going to be preaching. Not the, that guy who sits down and, and talks. No, no, no. I don't, I don't quite understand that guy. I don't know what he's on. Why is he sitting down? Who do you think he is? <laughs> the lazy preacher. <laughs> If you find yourself entertaining those thoughts, engaging in that kind of a mindset, saints, you have outsourced your worship. You have outsourced your offering. You see, it is not the responsibility of the worship leader to bring you into a place of worship. Neither is it the responsibility of the pastor that you feel the move of God. When you walk into this sanctuary, bring the move of God. Bring your offering. Come prepared to offer it up. Come prepared to roll up your sleeves and get involved in the process of worship and offering. You are not a a, a spectator. It is not a passive uh, observing of, of the situation and walking out with the criticism. You are here to offer what is in your heart and what is in your hand. Cain went before God and he gave a tainted offering. You know what the Bible says? God didn't respect his offering. Didn't respect it. Why? It says, it says of, of Abel that he gave of his first, first fruits. It says of Cain he gave an offering. What are we bringing before the Lord? Are we bringing a tainted offering and expecting him to honor it? Here's something else the scriptures tell us. If you are on your way to make your sacrifices, to make your offering, and on your way you realize that you have something between you and your brother, what, is it, what does the scripture command us to do? Drop it. Walk away. Go and make peace with your brother and then come back and make your offering and it will be received. 
not proceed and give God a tainted offering of offense and unforgiveness and criticism. But if we still believe that there is a priest whose job it is to bring us before God for, for, for worship, then we feel okay to come before him with offense in our hearts, with bitterness, with unforgiveness, with unrepented sin. We feel like it's okay. Why? Somebody else is going to do the work. Somebody else is going to pray. Somebody else is going to intercede. Somebody else is going to preach the word. Somebody else will go in and mine out what the word says and feed it to us. Somebody else will sing and we will feel the move of the spirit. No! Bring your bull. Cut up your bull. Flay the skin of your bull. Lay it out onto the offering. Your bull. Wash it clean. You know what the responsibility of the priest was? Make sure there's a fire. Yeah, pastor, the reason I didn't quite go in is because, ah, you didn't, if you'd said this, oh man, if you'd preached this way, if that person had sung this, nobody greeted me when I walked in, that's why I'm sour. We're not here to worship you. Didn't quite like that set. If only they'd put together a different set. If only they'd do like, if only they'd paint the walls this way. If only they'd, if only they'd let me park in my favorite spot. If only, hey! <laughs> Not about you! All of those things are merely exposing whether we are participating in the act of worship or whether we have outsourced it. And by the way, these things ought not shame us. Shame is, is not from, from God. If you're feeling shame right now, that's not the point of it. When God exposes something in us, it's an act of mercy. It's an act of mercy. Because it gives us an opportunity to repent and adjust and do things right. Interesting thing is, even if we, if we roll the tape back a little bit, the, 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 the priests were set in and they were the, 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 the family of Levi, the, 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 tribes, the, tribes of, the tribe of, of the Levites, and they were the priests. But that wasn't the original intention. Uh, every firstborn of every family of the members of Israel was actually supposed to have uh, somebody representing them for, for, um, for, for, for offering and sacrifice. And so, and so God's intention had been that every family would be, would be represented. Every family would come before me. But because of the Mount Sinai incident, things changed and the Levites came in. We can even take it a, a, a little bit further back. Go, let's, let's understand this issue of sacrifice and who does what by looking at some of the earlier mentions of sacrifice. In fact, let's, let's look at the earliest mention um, that we can find. And <clears throat> we, we touched on it a little bit last week about how uh, Adam and Eve sinned and having sinned, uh, that God provided a covering for them after having um, nonsensed their covering. Um, 
and, and he provides a covering for them, a better covering, the uh, last better that's a bit more functional. But he provides it. And, and um, by process of logic, we, 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 we're saying the only way for this covering uh, of, of animal skin to be available was for an animal to die. And so God killed an animal, an innocent animal, for the sake of their covering, which, by the way, in itself, not just speaks of offering, but speaks of Jesus. That Jesus has been part of the narrative from the very beginning. That in as much as... So when Adam and Eve sinned, God prophetically declared that Jesus would come and he would be a covering by sacrificing an innocent lamb, or animal, I assume it was a lamb, because just it works out nicer. Yeah, yeah. Just, <laughs> Uh, sacrificing an innocent animal. Why? So that he would provide a covering for us. Prophesying the Jesus who would come and, and who is our, our innocent lamb who would be sacrificed so that we would be covered in him. Let's take it even further back. Even further? When, before Genesis? Before time began. It was allowed to make uh, war on the saints. and In fact, let's just read from verse 8. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the, in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If I read it in my Bible, it says, in the, in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. Before our process, before our existence even began, Jesus was already there. He wasn't a New Testament idea or plan B. And so we have these two bookends, the, the lamb who was sacrificed before the foundation of the world and the lamb who was made manifest at the cross and sacrificed. And in between these two bookends, is our progression from professional priesthood because we had to be separated from God to relational priesthood because it is no longer necessary for us to be separated from God and because now we can take advantage uh, or, or take responsibility for our own worship, our own relationship with God and live in the very real benefits of coming into relationship with God. Sonship, eternity, restoration, redemption, all these beautiful things. Why? Because as a people, we have moved from priest professional to priest relational. Can we stand to our feet? Now, th these concepts that we're talking about are simpler, easier to understand on the basis of relationships. So if you, if you have a relationship with Jesus, these concepts make sense and you, you can see where to tweak because what it, what it says to you is, I have relationship with Jesus. There are areas in which I have outsourced my worship and allowed somebody else to carry it and I need to make that adjustment. I need to repent, I need to, 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 to course correct, 
and do things right. That makes sense. And I encourage you to do that, that adjustment and to do that repenting. Whether it's in this moment when you, before the Lord, after the service, you can come and engage with one of our ministry team members and they'll stand with you and pray with you. But, but I encourage you not to walk out of here without making that adjustment. It doesn't make sense and won't make sense if we haven't taken care of the first thing, which is relationship. Because that's where it hangs on. If I, if, I don't, if I don't have that relationship with Jesus, the stuff about the cross and the stuff about the veil and the priest and all of that is nice to know. It's good information. I may even throw it out in a conversation somewhere. But it's not going to change my life. Because it pivots on relationship. And so I want to pray, pray for you. If you are in this space of not having a relationship with Jesus, what that looks like is you either have never had an opportunity or taken on the opportunity to recognize Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to surrender your life before him and to invite him into your heart. You, you've, never, you've never done that. There may be a few of us who have done that, but if it, it, it kind of felt like a ticking a box. Like, I, okay, I filled the form, I moved on. There was no transformation. There was no life change. There was no depth of relationship. When you were talking, uh, the, the, the idea of, of relational intimacy with Jesus, I don't have that. And that's not something that I need to convince you of. That's something that you know before God. And I trust that even as we were in the service, in worship, in the word, that the Holy Spirit was already highlighting to you in your heart that, hey, this is for you because you need this adjustment. The first adjustment, the relationship adjustment. Saints, there is no more important adjustment that you're going to make in your life. In your life. There is no more important decision that you're going to make in the scope, the length, and breadth of your life. Let's even put it this way. There is no more important decision that you're going to make in the length and breadth of eternity than the decision to recognize the Lordship of Jesus Christ, to surrender to Him, to come into relationship. So I, I, I want to land the service by praying for those people who are wanting to make that adjustment. You're wanting to make the relationship adjustment. And if you will give me an indication as I pray that I'm praying for you, if you'll just um, raise your hands. The raising of your hands is an acknowledgement to me to know that I'm, I'm praying for you, but it is an acknowledgement before God that here I am. Here I am. I repent. Here I am. I'm ready to fix my life. Here I am. I don't care what's happening to the left or to the right, what anybody thinks of me or anything else. Here I am. I am unashamed. I am unapologetic. I am coming into relationship with you. That's what that moment is. Will you show me by a good, loud and proud raising of hands? Show me. Don't be, don't be shy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the, for the hands. I'm seeing the hands that are raised aside. I'm seeing, I'm seeing your hand. I'm seeing 
I'm seeing your hands. Thank you. I, I am seeing your hands in the natural. God is seeing your hands, which is what actually matters. And, and he is seeing your declaration. And he is seeing your, Lord, here am I. And so I want to pray. As, keep your hands up. Lord, you see the hands that are raised. You see the decisions that are being made to recognize you as Lord and Savior. You see the, the hearts that are saying, I want to make the relationship adjustment. I want to come into relationship with you. Father, I pray that you would honor the faith, that you would honor the fearlessness, that you would honor the fact that they are without shame recognizing you before, before this multitude, before everybody gathered here, Lord, they have chosen to say, I want to be a child of God. Thank you for their lives. Thank you that you are saving them today. Thank you that you look upon them and you are saying, today I've begotten you. You are my child. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. I, I, I want to put one, one extra step before you. We, this is not a surprise. This is not, we're not, we, we do this all the time and you know it. Um, that, that I would ask that if you um, had that acknowledgement moment with Jesus, won't you please take your, your belongings and come meet me at the front here. We want to we both celebrate with you, have a family moment, but it is a declaration. It is a declaration. It is a fearless, shameless this is the business that I'm doing with Jesus. So can I encourage you, if you raised your hand, to come and meet me here at the front. Thank you. Well done. Thank you, brother. Well done. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Well done. Well done. Well done. Well done. Blessings to you. Well done. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, my friend. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless the decision that you make today. That is an eternal decision. Can I ask you to, 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 to pray this short prayer with me? It's a, it, I want you to declare. Make a declaration of coming into relationship with Jesus. And we always do it together because this is a family moment. But just pray, pray these words after me. Say, Lord Jesus, today I declare that I am your child. I choose to come into relationship with you. Please forgive me for my sins. Please restore me into your kingdom. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose again and are seated at the right hand of the Father. I declare this and I pray it over me 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord.